this morning, right before we get started, if we could just stop and pray for uh, Rigo. And also, I failed to mention, uh, it happened, I think, earlier in the week, uh, Jamie Horn, her father passed away. They just got home from Arkansas, had to turn around and go right back. So let's pray for them. Father, I pray for the amazing comfort that only Jesus brings and the Holy Spirit to comfort Jamie and Rigo right now as they um, journey, as they feel alone. As they feel separated, I thank you that you're able to keep that which we entrust to you against the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in, uh, talking about, in the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter, the first ten verses. We'll get there in a few moments. We're talking about a, a soldier's faith there. But uh, I want to do something with you. I want you, to, I want you to turn to the person next to you in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to, ask, uh, to respond to one another. These are kind of fun, participatory kind of messages. And I want you to turn to them, and I want you to name three positions that you think of when you think of the word authority. Three positions that entail authority. So I want you to turn to the person to you, next to you, and go, this is the position I think of, or these three positions when I think the word authority. Turn and talk. Don't look at me. Turn at each other. Okay. Now, I'm just curious. I've got a few. How many of you immediately thought about a police officer? Yeah, okay. Well, hold your hands high. I want to see the ones who've been getting tickets. Okay. All right. All right. How about the president or prime minister? Wow. Doing this. Pre- How about mayor? That's what I thought. Okay. How about principal? <laughs> Richard, you and Deb, y'all are educators. Okay. Uh, here we go. How about teacher? There you go. Coach? Okay. Warden? No. Okay. Yeah. Just want to know if we had any people who had just gotten out of prison. Okay. Uh, here's the one that I shouldn't do in church, but I will. Wife? No. No. Any, any, uh, bad joke. Anyway, just people that we associate with the word authority. Uh, the Bible talks about the centurion, and he was a man of noble character, and he had great authority. Um, there's a there's a show on TV that's uh, very famous. I've watched it several times. This lady is large and in charge. I don't mean large like weight, but okay. Anyway, but she's she's in control, and you've probably seen it. She drives this really cute little car, and she comes flying up to the rescue of parents. Super nanny. You, you ever watch that show? I mean, it's an amazing show. And, and if you ever want to know who's in charge and who has authority, it's when she steps foot in the house. I'm amazed how many parents are clueless. You know what I'm saying? And man, they get there and the kids are screaming and yelling and spitting and tearing the house down and telling the dad and the mom what to do. And Super Nanny sweeps in and she saves the day and she uh, sets up boundaries of how you should parent correctly and do these things. And the neatest thing happens usually at the end of the show, transformation takes place. And Super Nanny has saved the day. Mom and dad have some new resolve to parent successfully. I mean, isn't it a great show? I mean, the whole thing. Well, that's what authority does. Authority kind of just comes and takes over. It's, it's in charge. So next time you see the uh, commercial for that, or you watch the program, you go, yeah, super nanny, she, she's one. Well, authority is not so much about position, but it's about disposition. Although it does have to, a lot to do with position. And, and authority is not where we control somebody or manipulate them, although we certainly try to coerce and try to manipulate people sometimes. And authority is not about intimidation. 
I think authority is much bigger than that. Now, sometimes you can try to intimidate or you can try to be the bully or the bigger, biggest, bigger person, but that's not really what it is. Well, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter, in the first 10 verses. And what I want you to do, I just want you to stand, and we're going to read God's Word this morning from another narrative. And this is the, the Gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter. Listen to the Word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation, he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For myself, I'm a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And he turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. That's God's gospel reading for us this morning. You can be seated. And we want to just try to dig into this story and see how it applies to our life in 2009 about a soldier's faith. And I want to make it more personal. Could, could it be our faith? Um, does it speak about us? Does it encourage us? So we, we come from different backgrounds. We have different positions in life. We serve under people. We have different measures of faith that I wrote about at the top. It says this. We all have different measures of faith, and the trials we experience in life cause us to move closer to God, or either we drift, or we pull away, or we shy away from Him. And the Saturon was a man of commendable faith that we definitely need to emulate even this morning. Now, you've probably read this story maybe many times if you read Luke, and you've probably just kind of blown through it. That's one reason I'm trying to slow down and do some of these narratives. And So let's just kind of begin to tear this passage down. He goes there to Capernaum. When I was in the Holy Land 10 years ago, we had this professor, and he kept saying Capernaum. I had never heard it say. Even in my theological studies, I never heard it called Capernaum. And, but anyway, he kept, so every time I see Capernaum, I hear him saying Capernaum, Capernaum. But anyway, we'll, we'll give it to him, okay? And where is this? The northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a, a fishing community. It was a fishing town. And Jesus ended up doing a lot of ministry in this region. And as he would go there, when Jesus showed up, you can bet there was a lot of teaching. There was a lot of buzz. There, there was a lot of crowd. There was a lot of riots. There was a lot of pressing into the mob. And it was just an interesting thing. But also, when Jesus would show up in a village or a community, there always seemed to be healing that would follow him. He would heal the people. And, man, if, if he already wasn't just a great rabbi and a rabboni, as we talked about the other day, he, he had this healing touch. So people would, they would talk, oh, I've heard about this man. I've heard about Jesus, and, and, they, and even the people that weren't believers, they would go, still, this guy possesses some kind of supernatural gift, this power from on high. Who is he? So let's move down to verse 2. So as, as he looks there in the second verse, it says, Then the centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick, about to die. Maybe he was paralyzed. He was very sick. He was downtrodden. He, he didn't have the ability to function. He, he, he was at a really tough place. And so the centurion, what is, that is one that has century, the word a hundred. It means he has a hundred soldiers that serve under him. 
He was a, a man of powerful position. He had prestige. He had, uh, he had rank. He had honor. He had, um, he, he just, he, he was in control. He, he, he did his thing. And he also was a man that had character. He had integrity. People, a lot of people even had respect for him. It was a very noble position. I even read that he was a well-paid guy, so he, he had some rank and file in the community, and it was a, a very good thing. And yet, it's interesting what the, the verse says. Move to verse 3. A lot of people just blow through that, and they go, well, okay. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him. Now, he sent elders. He was a Gentile, but he sent elders to Jesus. He, he sent the Jews over to him. Now, let me tell you. Let me set it up. He crossed cultural barriers, racial barriers. I mean, they were not friends. I mean, especially for a Roman soldier, for this guy to be in charge, and for him to send elders over to see Jesus, to see the rabbi Jesus, that was uncommon. That, that was unheard of. But it's an amazing thing. This soldier had such an incredible, impeccable reputation for being a man of noble character that the Jews liked him. They loved him. You know one reason? They saw compassion in action through his life. There, this healing, this was his servant. And he served under this centurion. And he had such compassion and pity and concern. And he found himself helpless and couldn't help him. And he wanted his friend to get well. He knew he was rendered powerless. He knew he had not the ability to change him. And he wasn't a believer. I want you to hear that. He was not a believer. But he'd heard about Jesus. He'd heard about that incredible power that he possessed, how he would touch people, how, how they would rise up. And, and the Bible even says that he'd even built them a temple. He'd even built them a synagogue. So he was a friend of the Jews, which is kind of uncommon, but it really speaks a lot about his character. But what does the centurion do? I just want you to write there in your notes somewhere. He exercises faith. Write that on your worship guide somewhere. If you just walk away today, what's the premise of this message? Are you exercising faith, biblical faith? And the centurion that didn't know God, he didn't know Jesus, he exercises faith. So he has this working faith working for him. It really, it's a, a remarkable faith. It's a faith that should be copied. It's a faith that uh, we should fashion because he was a pagan. As I said, he wasn't a believer. But he had more faith in them. And, and so he sends the emissaries over to Jesus, the elders, and, hey, can y'all go and get Jesus? Because basically, you don't realize this. For him to be a soldier, he's powerful and authoritative. And yet he humbles himself. Now that's unheard of in that day, maybe in our day. And then he has great love. And I think that's the body of Christ. It's one reason we're doing Fairy of Hope. It's just one of the ways that we love our city, we love our teachers, we love the schools. Let's fill in a blank. Believing faith is much more than intellectual faith. It's much more than a volitional ascent, mental ascent. It, it's much more than that. I meet people all the time. Oh, I have faith in God. Oh, I believe intellectually. Oh, the Bible says even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough just to believe. And the church said, I mean, it's just, hey, you know, I believe. Well, I meet people all the time. Well, you know, he believes. She believes. Believe what? I meet people every day that believe stuff sincerely wrong. You're saying, well, they're sincere. Well, they're wrong. I mean, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of truth, is he not? He's powerful. So there's this believing faith. And, and, and real biblical faith means you rest in, you abide in Jesus, in the person of Christ. So here this centurion is not a believer, but he exercises the amount of faith that God gives him, and he begins to know that Jesus can do it. So let's fill in the next. Faith has to have an object, and that faith has to be Jesus Christ alone. 
See, I meant to bring a rock in here this morning because you know I like rocks and I love to do messages on rocks. And if I held a rock in my hand and go, I have faith in this rock, you'd go, but pastor, you had a long week. That rock ain't going to cut it. And I go, well, I got faith in Buddha. I've got faith in Baha'u'llah. I've got faith in Confucius. Doesn't, doesn't matter what you got faith in. There's faith in what? The one person, the man, Christ Jesus. And that's who the centurion, he had faith. He, he began to believe that Jesus could heal. Because the story begins to tell about what he believed. And it was so powerful because, you remember in James 2? Faith without works is, it doesn't save you, but real genuine biblical faith that follows Jesus always expresses itself in action. It's an awesome thing. So here he is, he, he hears about Jesus, he knows about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. But the evidence of, of Christ is overwhelming. So he knows if he can just get the Jews to Jesus to come, or if they'll just speak the word. He knows things can be different. And I want, I want you to write a question today. Does your faith marvel, amaze our Lord? Does it astonish you? You're saying, well, my faith's kind of wimpy, you know, there's not a lot to it. And, you know, these centurions, you read about them in Scripture. One is there's a guy named Cornelius over in Acts 10, and we know about his faith. But this whole thing this week, as I was reading in my personal quiet time, um, and, you know, I'm just reading as, as I'm systematically reading the Bible. I was reading, and I began to see over in Matthew 17, because I'm reading Matthew in a New Testament portion of Scripture. And it says that Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief. Just the opposite of what I'm trying to get us to go for, real solid biblical faith. And Jesus goes, look, you stiff-necked, obstinate people, he rebukes them. He, he pushes away from that. So this morning, let me just tell you. If you're pushing away from Jesus, if you're not believing, if you have unbelief in your heart, man, get rid of that quickly. Go for faith. Begin to adhere to the thing. Nothing's impossible with God to those that believe that you, you trust Him. Look at this next point. I want you to see this. Very critical. Faith is no guarantee that you will get what you want. Now, you see, modern-day preachers have kind of messed this up. If I just have enough faith, and if I have faith in that Ferrari... Like one guy told me one time, says, Keith, you want a Porsche? I go, well, absolutely, because I got a friend. He used to let me drive his Porsche with my car tour. And that was so cool. And he told me one time, he says, Keith, you know what's better than owning a Porsche? And I looked and I said, what? He goes, having a friend that owns a Porsche. I went, amen. Because you pay for it. You do all the work. Because, you know, I looked at it one time and he said, I'll make you a good deal. And then he told me what it would cost to get a brake job on it. I go, I can't afford a Porsche, but I want to drive your Porsche. And the brother sold it. But here's the bottom line. Not to me, though. If, if, I, if, if I went up to the local dealership and I sit in a Porsche and go, now, you know, pastor's purposing to live a righteous, holy life, and I got faith in this Porsche, and me and Donna would look good in this Porsche, and, and now Hannah's at university, and Rachel's got Jeremy to take care of her, and, man, pastor's going to look good in a Porsche, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going over there every afternoon at 4.30, I'm going to sit in a Porsche. You go, that's, that's kind of dumb. It's a, but I got faith. You see what I'm saying? Just because you got faith is not a guarantee that you get what you want. You get what God wants to give you. See what I'm saying? But we have faith. We have trust. And we just need to say that because sometimes people are like, well, like, I, mean, I remember one time Donna, I have a really good friend and she has a physical ailment. And a woman walked up to her one day and says, if you just had faith, God would heal you. No. This woman's got some of the greatest faith me and Donna have ever met. Matter of fact, we always call her remarkable. Her faith is like the centurion. But God does what God will do. And it's a commandment to, to trust in Him, to, to press in. Just write down this. Hebrews 11.1 1 is always that classic definition of what God says faith is. 
It's being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. If I see it with my eyes, then it's not faith. But if I have a confidence in God's ability to do that which He can do, and only He can do, and it will glorify Him and His kingdom, that's faith, isn't it? The evidence of things unseen. What are you believing God for that will bring glory to His name and not to your name? That's what God's all about. God is about the reputation of His name, of His fame, of His honor in all the earth. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we sing to the Most High God on Sunday morning and we celebrate the praises of the Almighty God? I'm so glad we don't come here to celebrate man. That would be ridiculous. We worship an all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God. We go, God, we want to... And move down to Hebrews eleven six. it says, without faith. Without this faith in God, it's impossible to please Him. So you've got unbelief, you've got to get rid of it. Hebrews eleven thirteen, It says, all them living by faith. And then they died because that was part of God's plan. In Hebrews eleven thirty six, they were persecuted, they were stoned, they were martyred, all these things. You're like, you mean bad things happen to people that have faith? Hello? The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. People are always asking me, why does she, why does he have to experience that? Or they, this is what they want to know. Why do I have to experience that? I bring my tithes into the storehouse. Because God does love to bless us. But he, he's above the, the things of this economy called life. God has a kingdom economy. How many of you are serving the kingdom economy? His economy does not make sense in the natural many times. But it makes all the sense in the eternal nature. You know, here's the one that always gets me. If you want to be first, be last. Huh? I mean, what have they taught you your whole life, conditioned you? Train harder, eat right, exercise, study. Be number one, be first. And Jesus goes, I'll flip that on you. Be last. Now, i got to tell you, there's one thing I've kidded with you because y'all know I like to eat. But... uh this whole thing of covered dish dinners. I've never gotten it at church. I'm still trying to figure it out. Jesus said, the last shall be first. And I've been a pastor now for 27 years, and I've been in a lot of covered dish lines, and I greet, and I love to kiss the babies and hug everybody and talk to them. But if you eat at the end of the line, especially in this church, you will get left out. I mean, you'll get loved on, but you, you can just, I mean, there can be all this enormous amount of food in the hall, and then you, you eat last. But, but I tell you what, there's justice because I figured it out. I just sit there now and smile at you. Sometimes I get in the middle of the line because I want to eat. But, uh, but, uh, but I watch you. But I walk right over here. Because over here is always my favorite tables. We keep dessert tables here. Pastor walks straight to the dessert table. And I just load up everything I want. And then I walk over to my table and I put it down. People go, Pastor, you got dessert. I said, I sure did. You got all the food. So I get the dessert I want. It's amazing. People, hey, I'll trade you some mashed potatoes for some pie. No, I don't know. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus was trying to say, if you want to be first, you got to be last. you got to be the servant. This Saturon, he was a powerful man. And he was in charge. But man, he he loved the person that served under him. So much that he sent those Jews over there. And, And the thing is, they went to him because they loved him. I mean, he must have cared deeply for him because, I mean, to despise a Roman, to despise a Gentile, to despise a soldier, and then to do something for him is amazing. Let's look at the flow of authority. Just fill it in quickly. The top A is authority. This flow of authority, it starts there. It's like we're under God. You're under your principal. You're, you're under the head of your company. We're under the, the president. We're under the governor. The second one is accountability. 
And then this flow of authority is we're accountable. We're, we're held in check. There's, there's checks and balances. There's people that we have to answer to. And then there's affirmation. And this affirmation is, is part of the authority. It, it begins to come. It's, we get elevated. We get a pat on the back. We get encouraged. And the last one is acceptance. We, we belong to. We have some value. And if you look at these just quickly, authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. But here's what Jesus does. That's kind of how we work it in the business world. But you know what Jesus does? He flips it upside down. And he starts with acceptance. The Bible says you're accepted in the beloved. And then he begins to affirm. And he holds us accountable. And then we want to lovingly, submissively submit to the authority of the kingdom. You know, I'm trying to learn about this. This is what I need to do as a leader. I need to accept you where you are. I need to accept people where they are. I have this nature. I want to push, push, push. I have great passion and vision and I'm driven. And and God really spoke to me this week about this is what a leader does. You always try to accept people first. And then you begin to move in. Does this speak to anybody else besides me? Hey, Rick, you're a leader out there, a JAG officer. Think about if you start with acceptance. But we're trained to do what? I told you to do that. Think about a coach. Who can get the most out of you? A coach that accepts you like you are and believes you for more? Or the coach that comes and says, hey, just go run. Why? Because I'm in charge. Hey, go do some extra sit-ups. Go do it. No, that, that, that's not the coach you really want to hang around. Maybe, maybe you get better. But this flow of authority, it, it really works for the kingdom. But verse 7, I want you to see, I want you to underline this because this, this is a great passage. Last week we talked about that Jesus touched the leper, but he spoke. When he spoke, there was healing. And here, the centurion knew, if you will just say the word, Jesus, if you will just, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. He knew if Christ spoke, that's all it was. He didn't have to come. He didn't even count himself worthy to go to Jesus. But he said, if you speak, he'll be whole, he'll be healed, because his faith was in the authority of Jesus Christ. Not in those Jews, not in those emissaries that went for him. He I think the centurion said, you know what? I see my sinful condition. I see that I'll fall short. I see that I need an advocate, and that advocate is Jesus. Do you see the gospel in what I'm trying to say this morning? It's Christ. We see Christ. Let me give you some verses. You can fill these in. When we say the word, we've always taught around here, the word has power. When the word of God goes forth from this stage, when the word of God goes forth in your small group or whatever venue you see yourself, you have to make a decision. Isaiah says the word of God goes forth and it never returns void. Let's just write these down. Number one, Psalm 33, 4. The word, it is true. It is complete truth. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. So the word is truth. Let's build on that. Let's look at the next one. It is flawless. As far as God, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. I'm so glad for that nature of God. He's perfect. The next one, he's infallible. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. The infallibility of the scripture. Next blank, it is eternal. Psalm 119.89 says, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It cannot be moved. It cannot be shaken. How many of you are grateful for the eternal word of God this morning? It's the only thing I've got that's eternal. Everything else in this life changes but not God's word. 
And then it's exalted. It is exalted in Psalm 138.2. I will bow down toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things, O God, your name and your word. The name of Jesus is above every other name. The word of God should be elevated above all else in our life. And when we submit, when we surrender to his word, the blessings of God come. Yesterday, it was an amazing day. And I pray that every one of you have experienced that or experienced that with your children. And it's because our children worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and truth. And they've said, Lord Jesus, your word is above us. And Jeremy has become the spiritual leader to my daughter now. And they follow the word of Christ. And yesterday... As we gathered in that beautiful sanctuary, and we saw that Christ was the center. He was the very foundation that they would build their marriage upon. God's word is eternal, and it brings about blessings. I just want to say that to encourage all of you, that when we follow God's word, we're blessed. And the church said, all this debates we're having around the world and the country, what is marriage? One man and one woman or same sex? Oh, my goodness, I just want to jump up and down and spit. That anointed spit that I told you about weeks ago. God has spoken one man for one woman for a lifetime. It is covenant relationship. That is God's blessing. Amen. Teach that to your kids. Live that before your kids. Model it. God, get glory. Can you tell them fired up? I got to get me a quick donut after the service because I don't want to lose it for the next one. This is, I mean, right now I have so much just, uh, okay. And I was concerned about having fire for y'all this morning. How foolish. It is living and enduring, 1 Peter one twenty three. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This word is supreme. Verse 8. He's under authority. He says, I say go, they go. I say come, come. I mean, this guy's got a pretty good position. He has people that follow. The thing is, when Jesus says go, when Jesus says come, do you follow do you ignore? Do you delay? And then verse 9, there, there's an amazing passage here. I've read this, but I, I, I really did some study. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him being the soldier. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now this guy, I mean, Jesus commends him. He says, wow, your, your faith, I mean, 27 times in Scripture, Jesus amazes others by faith. He amazes them in what he does. Twice in Scripture, Jesus Christ is amazed. The first one, write it down, Mark 6, 6. He's amazed by their lack of faith. Not a good faith. The people there of Nazareth, you know, they're the unbelief of them. And Jesus is amazed, like, they don't get it. But here in chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus is amazed. He marvels. He's astonished about his faith. So I've just been thinking this week. In the Greek, there's a word called thamazo. It means he is the one that designs the galaxies and the oceans and the mountains. He is the God who creates. He is the God that is supreme. And we have a proper view of self. We go, I am unworthy, but worthy is the one who was slain for me the Lord Christ. So as you look at this, this faith that the Son of God marvels at the faith of another. 
So I just kept thinking, man, the, he speaks the word, so say the word, and he's healed. And I got to thinking, what about us? When was the last time, or have we ever marveled God? Have we amazed God by our faith? That he looks at you, daughter, he looks at you, son, and he goes, your faith amazes me. And if it amazes Jesus, it brings glory, and it brings honor, and it brings healing here. So the centurion there in verse 10, he, he believes God. He believes Jesus. And the servant is healed. It's a powerful story. It's like somebody finally figured it out. They, they got it. They went for it. They were astonished. They were surprised. And then in Luke 17, 5, write, write that passage down. I didn't put it on the screen, I don't think. Or maybe I did. Yeah, I did. Luke 17, 5. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's what I'm praying today. God would you give us an infusion of faith in this room right now? People that will listen to this by way of the internet, would their faith get infused with supernatural faith? Would their faith expand? Would their faith increase? Because they believe you, God, for who you say you are and who we know you to be. So here's a pagan that, man, tells us a story. Because I want you to hear this. God has never and God never will reward those that doubt. He can't have anything to do with it. He rewards those that have faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I'm thinking about in my own life, man, there's things I'm believing God for. Evidence of things unseen. Confidence that I believe and trust in Him to bring about His good and perfect will in my life and the life of others. I pray a lot about the life of our church and what might happen through eyes and possibilities of faith when we trust God. Have you got that kind of faith right now? If not, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, not increase our faith, which I wish he would. I pray he does. Lord Jesus, increase my faith. Could you just bow your heads for that? Lord Jesus, would you increase faith right now? Ask Jesus right now where you sit. Just ask Jesus.